have had you on this podcast twice. Mm-hmm. The world won't know it. <laughs> <laughs> this is the second time. Yeah. I want to thank you for taking the time to come this morning. I really appreciate it. The first podcast, I I did everything on it. I actually mm-hmm. finished it together. I let you see a little bit of it. It was just the sound. Mm-hmm. And it was so much... I had so much pleasure talking with you the first time. I said, I can't do it like that. This one has to come out better. Sure. Listen, let's start off with where you were born, even though I know. Sure. Uh, I was born in this farming community called Salinas. Um, it's about two and a half, two hours south of San Francisco. If you're familiar with Monterey, it's in the Monterey Bay area. Um, yeah, I was, and I lived there until I was about 16. And when I was 16 was the first time I left home. Uh, and I came to Japan for the first time. Okay, now I'm a little confused. Wait, you didn't stay in the same place. I think at four years old, you, you switched from mom to dad. Oh, no, it's fourth grade. No. Uh, oh, right? See, yeah. Yeah, see, yeah, yeah, yeah. You okay. back. No, no, you just gave me the, you gave me this, the, the part you the people you don't know. Yeah, that's now right. I know you. That's right. And I've met your mom. That's right. In real time. Yeah, so uh, my parents... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my parents separated when I was about four. Right. Uh, and at, at That's the first, yeah, it was first I was moving back and forth between my dad and my mom's house. Right. And then I started living with my mom up until I was in fourth grade and then moved in with my dad. Right. And while I was younger, I was living all across the Monterey Bay area. So Carmel, Carmel Valley, Monterey, Pacific Grove, Salinas, Castroville, all these small little areas. That because we they were moving from. Your family. My mom was moving around. Oh, your mom was moving. Your yeah. dad stayed. You stayed. Yeah, with? like it's funny because like our family were part of this um, Swiss community that in the late eighteen hundreds immigrated as a as a village basically from this village in like a southern Switzerland directly to Salinas, and we're related to a lot of the the families that immigrated over at the same time because we're all like cousins, like fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh generation cousins. Mm-hmm. Um, and the house that my dad was living in at the time and that I kind of grew up in was the house that my great-grandmother built. Like, so she came over, tough as nails woman, and she built the house, this the farm slash ranch house that I grew up in. And that's where my dad was always living. And so he was like very, very stable, very, very set, married to the land. My mom was always moving around, always checking things out, always looking for new experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I looked your mom and I believe she's just a little younger than me. Maybe. Yeah, she was quite young when I was born. I was. She was nineteen. Okay. Um, and so, <laughs> it's people confuse us as being like brother and sister or easily. Like, yeah, like easily or even like together right. romantically because she looks very very young yes. and I'm like you know hitting that stride. Right. And of you're myself. six five. I mean, come on, yeah. your height too. Yeah big person it's so it right. just it looks like like she does not look like we do not look like mother and son no yeah no no and she's really nice she's such a nice woman she's she so pleasant yeah she sat in the class when i was teaching her son mm-hmm. and she watched quietly and she didn't stay all the way through she said okay i got it yeah she, okay, <laughs> yeah she's she's a very proud grandma I mean, I bet she is. Yeah. I bet she's. Does your brother have kids too? Yeah, he's got two little girls. Um, I should have stayed a little, but they're in high school now. Okay. Um, so they're older than your kids. Yeah. No, my brother uh, got married much younger than I did. Mm-hmm. He got married when he was twenty-one, mm-hmm. uh, and I got married when I was like twenty-nine. Okay. And there's two years difference between the. Two. Yeah, he's two years younger than right. me. So he was he was married when I was like twenty-three, twenty-four. Mm-hmm. But you guys were always together, even when you when like when you left fourth grade to go with your father he came yeah. to 
Yes. Because you guys had to do chores together. And we still have to go through all this. Oh, man. I like that. I like that part. Yeah. Anyway, wait, wait. So when you were young, going with your mother, when you're going around with your mother to different places and stuff like that, did you feel, how, how did that make you feel when you're going from place to place? You had new friends every time or what was it? I think the first couple of times I did. And then I just hmm, kind of forgot how to make friends after a while because the first couple of times it's a new experience it's fun it's everything else but then after a while you start like why should i try to make some friends i'm just going to move again and not be able to see these people anymore so you just stop trying okay. and so then it wasn't until i was back in middle school i want to say before i started like feeling comfortable enough to start making friends again okay and then i had college and i realized that you know it's way more fun to be talking to everybody and being friendly with everybody than it is to be like quiet and sitting by yourself. Well, you, you, you had a period where you were really quiet? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was, was I would say, uh, I was, it was a little bit through high school, um, but it was more like elementary school and like the first part of middle school. Cause that's when I moved out from my mom's house into with my dad. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was just, oh, it's one more move. Cause I had been moving around a lot until I was in second grade. And then I was at one school for basically two years. So second grade, third grade, half a fourth. And then suddenly I was in a new school again. Right. And so it was like, okay, this is really hard to try to make people, try to make new friends every place that I go. Um, and so then I just kind of stopped and then I met some really good friends in middle school. Um, we had similar interests. We played, we liked to wrestle a lot. We liked to be goofballs. Like we just had a lot of fun together. Um, and I would say it was probably when I came to Japan the first time, you know, everyone is just, especially cause I was living in Southern Japan and Yamaguchi prefecture. And most people hadn't really ever seen a non-Japanese person before. If they as had- As tall as you do. Yeah, as, or if they had, it was related to the Marine base cause I was in Evo Clean. Um, and so they had this, big expectation of the way I was supposed to act and the way I was supposed to behave and I didn't quite fit into that because I was I'm a kid right I look like I'm 25 23 or 25 26 but I'm actually only 16 right. and so having a lot of these expectations to behave a certain way and just realizing hey if I just be funny and charming and nice it really subverts a lot of these expectations and people really enjoy that mm -hmm. um and so that's kind of what helped make me realize that I should just be friendly again yeah. Let's get back to when you were younger, because mm -hmm. I, I like the parts we went through before. When you talked about being with your father, mm -hmm. you and your brother went there. He lived in a pretty big area where the house yep. his mother made, basically. His grandmother. His grandmother. His, gra his grandmother. Yeah. Okay. And it actually was like a farm. It was Yeah, like it was a like a working ranch. Working it was ranch. more of a ranch than a farm. Okay. I mean, we, we grew some things mm -hmm. on the property, uh, but it's mostly for our own consumption. Um, but in terms of animals we were raising, we had chickens, we had cows, we had two horses and a pony. I, did I say a cow already? Mm -hmm. uh, pigs, rabbits, three dogs, four dogs, 15, 20 cats mm -hmm. for, to take care of the mice, mice problem. Mm -hmm. So we had lots of chores and work related to keeping this working ranch. And you had to be consistent with those chores. Yeah, I mean, animals don't care if you're sick. That's right. Like, That's right. it doesn't matter what other things you've got going on, um, especially the way that we were doing things. Like, you, you have to take care of these animals. Like, 
they are dependent on you. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like they're they're out to able to roam around all the time. Like you have to feed them, you have to muck out the stables. That's what I was gonna say. The muck out the stables. You explain what that was because I had never heard that before. Yeah, it's you're literally like <laughs> scooping up all the the fecal matter and right, right, right. getting rid of it so that way they're not sleeping. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's funny enough. It's horses have a harder time keeping areas clean than pigs do. Pigs will have one little area that they do their business in and they stay away from that area unless they're doing their business. Horses, it's just, as they're walking along, they'll just let it go. And people assume pigs are filthy and they really aren't. Yeah, well, it's, it, that, it, that comes from this idea. Yeah, pigs are incredibly smart. Yeah, right. They're, they're, inc- they're smarter than dogs, yes. I, we had this latch on the pig pen that we had originally had the ha- the thing down here on the bottom so all the kids could reach it and to go and feed the pigs and everything. The pigs were figuring out that if they kick or hit the gate with the snout a certain way, it would jiggle the lock and it could eventually open up and they could get out. So we had to move the latch to a sliding bolt latch and then place it on top so that way the pigs couldn't do that anymore. Like they're incredibly intelligent animals and sometimes they have a sense of humor. Right. Yeah, but you couldn't become too close with them because you you only had pets for basically slaughter. Yeah, so they were right. they, like the yeah. So the pigs we would have oh, the pigs like three to four good. months. Yeah, my brother made the mistake of naming one of the pigs once, and my right. grandfather was like, you "Are you that. sure you want to do that?" <laughs> one Christmas, he found out he was eating his piggy. He was traumatized. I imagine he, he would be. He didn't have. I don't think. I think he swore off ham for like four years after that. Like he just couldn't. Because he never knew when he was going to be eating. Did you ever get involved in any of the slaughtering? Uh, no. Sorry. No, um, we had a family of um, distant cousins that were butchers. Okay. And so we would they would come and take away the pigs. And then a couple of weeks later, we would get pounds of meat, ham, bacon, um, all the fixings. Right. from that slaughter. Okay. Yeah. And you told me you also learned to start driving when you were like four years old or something like that? Or I don't know if I was that young. You were there's, young. There, there, there was pictures of me um, in my dad's Jeep and everything else because we would use this little beat-up old Jeep to drive around to go, you know, especially if one of the horses got out or something else like that. Um, we would have to go chase it down or if we were just going to go check things out. Like for my dad, it was like, okay, I don't want my kids watching TV all the time. Let's take them somewhere. And so we would get in this little Jeep and drive around there. That's amazing. Yeah. And you said you also weren't, you never really hunted, but your father did. Yeah, he took me hunting several times. Um, and so I would go with him, but I never went and got my uh, hunter license. Okay. So it's like I, I'm comfortable around guns. I've been around guns. I've done skeet shooting and mm-hmm. things like that, but I never went and got my hunter's license. Right. Yeah. And you said you only had big game, like deer. Yeah. Yeah, so we hunted deer every August. Right. So yeah. the, the the hunting season started at the, if I remember correctly, the beginning of August and goes until like the middle of September or something. Mm-hmm. And that's when we, my dad would always go hunting. And you knew how to clean the deer, you know how to... Yeah, so like I would I would be with him when he would do that, yeah. Wow. Yeah, just... Really? Yeah. Well, what do you do with... Because well, I, I could do rabbits. Is yeah. it basically the same? You cut the hooves? Yep. And you have to do the head, take the head off, and yep. then boom, boom, and then the skin? Yep. Okay. Pretty much the same thing. It's pretty much the same thing. It's just Just scale. Just a bigger bush. Okay. Yeah, because I did that. California, I used to hunt rabbits. Okay. Cottontail and and jackrabbits. Sure. All the time, using shotguns, and you were using real rifles. Yeah. 
were different. All right, so growing up there, you said your father had the church for you, and you told me that you guys would have to get home, you'd have to walk all the animals. Yeah. That before sunset. So the horses, it was not as much of an issue with because they had open pasture. Um, that was the other thing that we always had to do was um, building fences. Anyways, yeah. bad memory. Um, you told me you didn't like any of this. Yeah, no, I was never, I mean, I grew up on a farm, but I didn't actually enjoy it. So you didn't, wait, so when your mother said you have to go with dad now, you're going to go with you, you're going to go with you. Please no, please no, not the farm. That was traumatic. We don't mind visiting, but you mean we're going to go live with It was one of those things where it's like, I've built so many fences, and I don't mean like, oh, a small little picket fence. I mean, like a six foot high fence. Um, that circles uh, like an acre or two acres of property. And then we'd have to go build this, um, we'd have to go dig post holes to string up wire fencing for pasture land so that way we could let the horses run around and the cow run around. And so, like, you'd have plans for the weekend where you want to go with friends or you want to go somewhere, and then you, you're just like, no, we're, we got a fence to build. Did your sister have to work with you too? From your no. Father, your father's no. next way. She was no, my step same yeah. as your brother, yeah. My stepsister had other chores that she had to Inside do. Inside chores. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's like, I, I don't want to make it sound like she had to do the inside stuff and the boys had to do but the outside stuff. But, but that is kind of what happened. <laughs> but that's what What's yeah. wrong with it? You're yeah. trying to be politically correct. Yeah, it's just like, huh. Yeah, but I'm thinking did. about it. Well, no, I mean, so we shared, like, some of the muckraking stuff. So, like, she did some of that. Did she? Yeah, but she didn't have to do the things like mowing the lawns. Or maybe build fences and stuff like that. Correct. Like, yeah, so, but when it came time to, like, weeding all the flowers and everything else, she had to get down and do Mm -hmm. all that. Like, so there was was just different things. If it was something that was, like, raw strength, of course, she was not doing that. But if it was... There was other things that were outside that did not require you to lift up a 20-pound bag of cement right. or... And they weren't dangerous. They weren't really dangerous either. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So your brother and you were together all the time doing these things. So you guys had a lot of communication and had to work out stuff yeah. to make it right. You couldn't be upset with each other too much. Yeah, that's true. You didn't have time to be. You yeah, no, we were too tired. Like... It was... Right. It was... It was and now that, now that you mention it, I have this feeling, I suddenly have a suspicion that... When my brother and I started fighting, suddenly there was a lot more chores. There was what? There was suddenly there was suddenly a lot more chores whenever my brother and I started fighting. Isn't that interesting? Like, you yeah, you're right. There you I'm go. now questioning this. Like, I gotta like talk to my brother about this now. But I suddenly have this thought that we probably had a lot more chores <laughs> when we started you fighting. Started fighting yeah. yeah, and you knew that you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to discuss anything, but you wanted to get out your system. Yeah, and you were mad about the chores more than you were each other. Exactly. And because I mean, my brother and I, we did fight a lot because we were so close in age and our birthdays were a day apart. Um, and we had to do a lot of things together. And so like, we were always just stepping on each other's toes. And I'm also this really dominating person, personality. Like I kind of just swoop in and take charge of everything. And you know, there's, I think there's sometimes where he kind of appreciated it, but then there was a lot of times he probably didn't appreciate it. And so, you know, like brothers growing up, we just had conflict. Um, and I do remember my dad coming down on us several times. It was like, if you guys can't figure out how to get along, things are going to change a lot around here. And so, well, so for example, like he was going to cancel my trip to Japan. Okay. (laughs) That wasn't going to happen. Yeah. It was like, it's like, (laughs) "Mm, okay. 
So, and my brother had this evil look in his eye. He's like, oh, you can't do anything now. Oh, he knew. He yeah. knew. He said, you'd be dead that you did oh, on this yeah, one. Oh, yeah, no, he, and, you yeah, know, he, did, he did, yeah, he did some things. He did some things. Oh, goodness. Yeah, and then, and then we had to, re we had, and then my dad came down on him for something else separate, and so it was. So, so equally became a little Yeah, because my dad kind of started to realize very quickly that I was, like, too afraid to do anything about it, but I was going right. insane. Wow. Yeah. He wasn't, wasn't it your grandfather who encouraged you to go to Japan? Yeah, my grandfather um, is kind of like a saving grace for my life, I would have to say. Like, my, my parents were. This is your father's. Yeah, father. my father's father. Um, my grandfather was always there whenever I needed him. And I mean that, like, he, he and my grandmother both, like, they took care of me and my brother when we were really young because my parents were really young and they were get fighting a lot and getting a divorce. So my grandmother would take us to the movies. Is your father quite older than your mother? No, he's only two years older. Only two years older? Yeah, so he was 21, she was 19. Oh, wait, but your, that was your grandfather who passed away at 96. Yes, yes that's correct. Your father's still living. Yeah, my father's still, still alive. Yeah. Still yeah, he lives in Tennessee. Oh, that's good, that's good. Yeah, so when I was much younger, my grandfather and my grandmother were stepped in a lot to help take care of my brother and I. Um, and I was kind of like my grandfather's favorite also, so. You were his first grandchild. Yeah, and um, you know, and we have this thing in our family where we share all the, the middle names. So my, my, both my dad and my grandfather have the same name, Donald Joseph Jacob. Um, and my grandfather was actually really upset that I, didn't, I wasn't Donald Joseph Jacob III. He wanted uh, me to carry on that name. because you didn't? No, so my name, my middle name is Joseph, though. So Joseph goes back to our great-great-grandfather that came over from Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And then my grandfather has a middle name. My dad has that middle name. I have that middle name. My son has that middle name. Okay, but why aren't you the third? Because my mom wanted to name me Brian. Ah. Yeah. So grandpa didn't like your mom so much. <laughs> no, I mean, they got a lot. I mean, she was part of the family, but at the one thing, he, he was like, he's kind of told her, he's like, you should have been a third. <laughs> like, like, you like, never let that go. Never let that go. Never let that go. I heard that so many times. It's just like, we'd be driving somewhere, and all of a sudden, you should have been a third. I'm like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about, grandpa? Like, what is this? Yeah, yeah, but when I was growing up, like him and my grandpa, like I said, like my grandmother taught me to read, um, and so when I went into kindergarten, I could she, took, read. she took you and your brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so because we spent a lot of time at their house, um, my grandfather would record stuff on TV from Disney to show it to us and play it for us all the time. My grandmother was always making food for us and helping take care of us, um, and then. When I decided that I wanted to study abroad, um, my grandfather really supported it. And I remember he picked me up to take me home from school one day. And I was telling him, I was like, hey, could we actually, could you drop me off at the mall, actually, because I want to go get some job applications. And he's like, you're a sophomore in high school. Like, what do you need a job for? Like, you have chores at home. Like, what are you, what are you thinking? And I was like, no, I want to save up money so I can go do a study abroad program. And he's like, you're gonna go get a job so you can save money to go to a different country to study? That's your big goal? Like, not a car? Like, you wanna do a study abroad program? I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay. 
so he went home, made a few phone calls, and then found out about a Rotary Exchange program. And then he encouraged me to apply for a Rotary Exchange program. And I, I got a scholarship to come study abroad in Japan. And it was because of him. Like he really encouraged it. He, you know, set up, like he helped put me in touch with all the people that were gonna help me do, do that program. Wow. Yeah. I know you and your grandpa were real tight. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we have a, my family has a cabin uh, in the Sierra Nevada mountains. It's a little bit north of Yosemite, south of Lake Tahoe. Um, this place called Twain Heart. It's beautiful. It was going up there. My grandparents built a cabin up there back in the late 60s. And, excuse me. So I spent a lot of my years going, I spent every year, I was there multiple times a year, skiing in the winter, swimming in the summer. Um, and every time we were there, we'd play dominoes or double deck, some other kind of car game with my grandfather. and. Whenever he won, it was shooting fish in a barrel. It was his favorite thing to say. <laughs> and he, and, fish and a he yelled out too, so everyone could hear. Oh, shooting fish in a barrel. <laughs> and you just and you just sit there because you're just like fuming, fuming, right? And then you whoop him. And you're like, oh, so that's what shooting fish in a barrel feels like. That's not the same thing. <laughs> Isn't was he tall as well? No, he was actually very small. My, my height comes from my mom's side of the family. Okay. Because um, my mom's side of the family is mostly Norwegian. All right. Um, my grandfather, I want to say he was about 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, so you're taller than your father as well. Yeah, I was taller than my dad, about 14, 15. He did not like that. I don't think so. Yeah. He was just like, this is not good. Well. This is not good. This is not good. <laughs> he was really upset when I when, when well, I was. Well, my father, is he taller than your mother? Yeah. He's a little bit taller. Okay. Yeah, so he, I, think, I want to say my dad is about 5'10". Okay. Um, and I'm actually really not good with height, so I think my mom is somewhere between 5'6 and 5'8, mm -hmm. I want to say. Yeah. Um, so my dad was taller than that, but what we didn't realize, because my, when my mom met my dad, her family was back in Boulder, Colorado. We didn't realize that even how tall I am, because I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit taller than my brother, we're short compared to the men on that side of the family. My uncle, my mom's little brother, was like 6'6, six, 6'7. Six, six, I'm 6'5. My grandfather was like six eight, six nine. So your father didn't know any of this. Yeah, we had no idea. <laughs> and so, yeah, no, I mean that, that was the funniest thing is like you know finding out that hey, you're the short one of the family. Short one of the family. And I'm yeah. like, going out. I ain't never heard that before. What that means? Like, what? No, no, no. I'm not the short one. No. Oh. Yeah. Did you ever? Did you get to meet her side of the family? Uh, I, I've talked. I talked to them on Facebook. Oh, you haven't met them in Facebook. Um, yeah, they're in the the Midwest. Okay. Uh, and my mom's little brother actually passed away uh, like 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Was it her only sibling? No, she has a sister as well. Um, and we don't talk about that one. Okay. Is she older or younger? Yeah. Uh, my mom is the middle, so that's okay, so so older. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, you went, you went through everything. Okay, so this, you finally get to Japan. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the first time you came here, you were 16. Yeah. All right, so what happened? How was that? What was that like? That was a really amazing experience. And it was funny because coming from Salinas into Iwakuni is like coming from like a small rural community into a city. Um, and it was really funny because like I thought I knew what I was getting myself into. And I, of course, had no idea because I was treated as if I was an actual Japanese student. So I had to go to regular Japanese classes. Um, you know, wear the uniform, behave the same way that 
any other 16 year old would behave. But, you know, I didn't really speak the language at the time. Um, there was, it was hard for me to really understand what was happening, what was going on. Um, and then because I looked like I was so much taller and bigger than I actually was, people just assumed that I would know what to do and how to behave. Because they're like, oh, this, 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 is, this is a young man. This is a 25-year-old. This is a guy who's significantly older. And I'm like, hey, I'm 16. I'm a boy still. Like, I'm still figuring stuff out. Um, and I got really lucky when I was in Yamaguchi because uh, I have this uh, Japanese father. This family, like my last host family, I had five different host families. The last family, like, really went out of their way to treat me like I was part of their family. And it's largely because of uh, my Japanese mom. Like she was really pushing her husband to treat me as part of the family and to welcome me and be like, hey, imagine if this is our son. How many kids did they have? They had two. They, 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 they since had a third, but they had two at the time. How old were they? Were they they were age? like eight and nine. Yeah, so they were like significantly younger. Okay, okay. And so, so at the time it was like, the mom was really pushing the dad to be very welcoming and to like, you know, treat me like, her, her their son and at first the dad was really resistant to it but then over time he's like let's do this and we became very very close because we because we would take out the dictionary and try to talk to each other about um chivalry and giddy and um you know being respectful being polite how to have manners like what you're trying to do um and what that means and how do you show respect in one country versus another country um, and I, I remember like this all started one night because I had just gotten to their house. This is my fourth, is my fifth experience. And we were all just watching TV together. And I just zoned out because I'm used to not really interacting with the host family that I'm with um, or eating separately or something else like that. And so they, they try to talk to me. And I just, I'm not really paying attention because why would I? at this stage and they turn off the TV and the dad just yells at me just like what are you doing like you're you're coming into our house you're a guest in our house my wife has made you with a special meal and you're not even talking to us and I was like I'm so sorry like th thank you for telling me he's like wait I'm yelling at you and you're saying thank you for this and I'm like yeah like I'm trying to learn no one's talking to me about what I'm doing wrong I'm just trying to guess and figure it out you're the first person to actually tell me he's like He's like, you want to learn? I'm like, yes. I flew all the way here from California to learn about Japan and Japanese culture and the language. He's like, okay. He gets out of the dictionary, so we just start talking. And every night for like three, four hours around dinner time, we would have conversations. How long did that last? Three months, four months. Because you only here for a short time. Right? Yeah, it was, it was about, three, about three months, I want to say. And it was just everything that... And it, it immediately made this amazing positive impact on my life in Japan because suddenly they understood what was going on in my head. And they could have an understanding of the things that I was struggling with, what I wasn't understanding, why I was behaving certain ways. And then they could be like, oh, well, actually, if you do that, it's kind of a little bit rude. What you want to do instead is this, because yeah, yeah. you're trying to communicate this message. Sure. They're not going to hear it if you act this way. So act this way. Yeah. Like if you, if you change the way that you deliver the message, it changes the way that it's received and everyone will be, just be so much more grateful. And sure enough, by starting to do that, it suddenly went from, 
oh, we're really stressed out that Brian's here, we're not sure what he understands, to like, oh, we can actually have a conversation with Brian. How long did it take? You were there only three months. So yeah, so this is this is the last family. So I'd already could kind of speak Japanese. How many Japanese. families? Wait, last family. How Five. many families did you Five. In what, three months? No, so I was I was in Japan for an, a year. Okay. And so the first four families, it was like one and a half to two months per family. Right. This last family was three. Right, okay. And so by about the six month mark, I could badly communicate in Japanese. Because right. I was on the train every day to go to school, studying Japanese as quickly as possible. Some of the teachers were helping me learn Japanese. Um, and that was the other really great thing about my experience is in addition to this family, I had, there was a bunch of people um, at the high school that I was going to or just in the community that were really trying to volunteer and help me learn Japanese and be, get myself to be able to communicate. And this is one of the reasons why I like to volunteer so much because I benefited so much from the generosity of people in Yamaguchi. But something you have to be careful about that you're not mentioning, and I don't know why you're leaving it up this time. Yeah, they wanted to benefit you, they wanted to help you, but they were young girls. Oh. And they were, <laughs> they were, they were, they were See, we were, I wasn't there yet. I wasn't there. I was getting there. I was getting there. I was getting there. So why did, I'm wondering why this this fifth family didn't tell you that you were going. No, no, what? So I want to know. This six foot five guy is going to go. I mean, no, and doing everything the women would do because you didn't know there was a difference between the two, and you were just those were girls. Only people really talking to you at school. Yeah. So was that that year too? That was that year. And I think I think it's because like when I was learning Japanese at the time, I was a massive mimic. So if I started talking with my host at, I would immediately start adopting his mannerisms, I hear you. his speech patterns. So he didn't know. Did I think know? he had some kind of idea because when I'm when I'm talking just by myself, I would talk simplistically. When I'm talking with my host brothers, I would speak like them. When I'm speaking to my host mom, it would be like her. Right. I would just kind of mirror. But when I but then when I'm by myself and have no one else to mimic, or I'm just talking, pulling it from memory, it would default to sounding mm -hmm. like a 16 year old Japanese girl. Because that's who you had fun with, and who would be, it seemed the casual. People, yeah, the right. people who would talk to me. That's right. Yeah, and so. It was, that was what I found out, like, leaving Japan, right. going back home, finishing high school, going, starting college, and then coming back to Japan. When I was in university the first year, my Japanese friends thought it was hilarious because there's this giant guy that, one, can speak Japanese, but he sounds like a 16-year-old girl when he That's does That's when it. you came back here. This is the year before I came back here. You're in the states. I'm in the states. So and your Japanese to, friends there. Yeah. So, okay. so I was. I went to University of the Pacific for my undergrad, and the the Japanese cats that I had met at the university, they were like laughing. They thought it was the funniest thing ever. They were just like, "It's amazing that you can speak Japanese, but your Japanese is so funny." Because like you, you sound like a sixteen year old girl. Like, this is hilarious. And the gestures and everything. Yeah, just the whole. I mean, I can't. I've forgotten how to do it now, oh, but yeah. it was just Would like. You stop it? Yeah. Or like, or something happened. You're like, <laughs> the whole thing, the whole thing, man. It was horrible. It was horrible. But you were, but you were being serious, and you thought yeah. they were really taking. And I, and for, because for me, it's like, I didn't know enough to know what I was doing. I was the way that I was learning languages is I didn't have a lot of formal instruction in learning Japanese. Like I had people volunteer and try to teach me some stuff or give me textbooks, 
but I didn't have a professional Japanese teacher sit me down and actually teach me Japanese. And so a lot of it was from context, like what did I see in the movies? What did I see on TV? What do I talk to my friends about? Um, th that was way more about the way that I learned Japanese than it was what I studied in a textbook. And this is why when I speak Japanese now, I have a really good accent because I learned Japanese by speaking. And it took a long time for me to learn about grammar. It took me a long time to learn about particles and tenses and all these other things because I didn't have this formal education for Japanese. I was lucky enough to come to Japan when I was 16, had a lot of people try to teach me as much as they could and go to a Japanese high school. And that's how I would learn Japanese. Mm -hmm. yeah. So how long did it take you to get out of those habits? Because habits usually don't die easily. Yeah, I, so, and, and this is actually something else that I'm studying right now. It's fascinating. It's like replacing habits and replacing neural pathways and things, the way that you think and the way that you react to stimuli. Um, and it's more about replacing it with something else. So I, when I went to college in Japan, I was at Kansai Gakuin University, which is in Kansai, obviously by the name. Um, and I made it a mission to learn Kansai men. I wanted to speak like someone who was born and raised in Osaka. And so, like, really paid a lot of attention to the way, the way locals spoke, um, bought, like, the books on how to speak Kansai dialect, and I just started integrating those speech patterns into my everyday Japanese. And so, instead of trying to, like, stop cold turkey and create a new behavior pattern, I just replaced the behavior patterns with new ones that were more appropriate for the environment that I was in. So, yeah. And did you did you purposely did you think you'd always be in Kansai? Or? Yeah, yeah, I didn't oh, you know. Never, you never thought. Yeah, that. I. Did you? You knew there were different dialects, though. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, when I was fresh in Japan, like I had like this Yamaguchi slash Hiroshima Ben style of speaking because I was learning from very local people from Yamaguchi mm -hmm. Prefecture. Um, so even from that stage, I understood about dialects. Mm -hmm. That was one of the conversations that my that my Japanese dad and I had one night was just understanding that hey, in Japan, it's very mountainous people have developed different ways of speaking, like very strong different ways of speaking that we don't have in the US. We have regional accents, but not to the level of dialects, right? I think we do. Okay. Because you go to Appalachian Mountains, you go to different, you go to the South, you go to the you know, so we do, we do. Okay. I mean, even probably even more, some places you probably go down, I'm sorry, I don't know what You go down to Louisiana, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know what I don't know what the translation would do. I stand corrected, sir. I stand corrected. Yeah, he says that. Where is the first time I am? <laughs> okay, I stand corrected. But I can understand your love and appreciation for the diversity here because a lot of people think as Japan it's really being non-diverse of just one type of people. It is so diverse. They, yeah. they isolated and convinced over their 200 years of isolation, they convinced everyone that they were one race. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they're diverse in looks and everything else. It's... And and this is the thing that I was really astonished by when I moved to Tokyo. Because um, I first went to Kansai when I was 19. And then most of all my trips after that were always back to Kansai. Um, when I tried to do like a, a consulting gig, when I first tried to move to Japan back in 2005, it was Kansai. My, my best friend from college lives in Kansai. And so I'm like always coming back, always going down to Kansai, whether it was Kobe or whether it was Osaka. Um, that's where I was always trying to be until moved here with my family. And we, we moved to Tokyo because that's where the jobs are, that's where the work is, that's where 
we're gonna be able to have a good life. And I was just amazed at how different Tokyo is compared to Kansai. How so? Tell me the difference. There's a, how do I say this? A coldness. Not from the, not from the perspective of people are unfriendly or uncaring or unsympathetic or rude. It's just, the, the best way I can think about it is like the difference between San Francisco and New York. There's a seriousness and walls up between people that are in Tokyo that don't really exist in Kansai. Everyone's warm, everyone's curious, everyone really wants to laugh. It doesn't mean that everyone's going to be best friends with everybody, but there's more of this, this warmth that you get on the casual meeting with someone in Kansai that you don't get. Like, I can walk into any restaurant and they're going to be like, oh gosh, what do we, what do, we do? How do we... Well, he's got, to, he's got to be able to speak Japanese. And so they just come up and just talk to you in Japanese. So instead of being nervous, instead of being shy and maybe being a, like uncomfortable and not showing how to approach, they're brash and just will come up right up to you and they would just talk to you in Japanese. And they're like, as long as you can speak Japanese, you're fine. And then the moment you speak Japanese, all of a sudden everyone wants to come over and talk to you. They're like, oh, where are you from? Like, what brought you here? Like, what do you think about Kansai? It's, a, it's this, this openness... I think, that, I think that's a better term, openness versus closeness. It's not saying that Tokyo people are not friendly or welcoming or anything like that, but it's just there's, there's more of a barrier to get through. And once you're there, all those things are there. I think one thing that brings that on too is that Tokyo's feel full of transients. Yeah. People exactly. aren't from Tokyo. Yeah. The people that are in Tokyo, for the most part, aren't from here. Yeah. And they're trying to get their bearings. And that's why they're a little more hesitant to come out. But when you go to Kansai, they're from there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And they're not planning on leaving. Yeah. No, they're like, no. And that's why they come. You're on my, you're on my turf now. Wait. And that, that's something that I hear when, when I go to work meetings and everything else. Someone from Tokyo will be saying, well, we do this, this, and this in Tokyo. And the response is always, this is in Tokyo. <laughs> it's like, you're not in Tokyo now, buddy. Right. Yeah. Right. This is Osaka. Like, come on now. Come correct, please. That's right. Yeah. The thing I liked about it, I mean, the, I, the, the way I set up the regions, when I had the medical equipment business, and now I ride my motorcycle all over Japan. Mm -hmm. In the north, they're very, very warm. Mm -hmm. Hokkaido, um, um, Aomori, that area, northern Honshu. Then when you get south, they tend to be straightforward, especially Kansai. Yeah, yeah. They're straightforward. In other words, Tokyo, the last thing they'll talk about when you're negotiating is money. Mm -hmm. That's the last thing. Kansai is the first thing they want to know how much. Yeah. Let's say how much yeah. how much is it gonna be? how much are we gonna make? Yeah. How much are you gonna charge me? Whatever it's gonna be. They'll come straight at you, and that's a shock mm -hmm. coming from here. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the last thing to talk about. And and they don't do that so much as you go north either. They're just very quiet and calm, but that's in the back of their mind. Yeah. It's really interesting. But you go to Kansai, no joke. They'll ask you in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That first discussion is not gonna be third fifth, you know, anything like that. It's gonna be the first discussion. You want to get that out the way. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Isn't that something? Yeah, it's... And the food's yeah. good. I love the food in Osaka. Kansai food is so good. Mm. They're not afraid to mix it up. No, they're not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Water. I love that area. I do. Yeah. And I think because they think they're not, they're not Tokyo, so they try harder. The girls dress fancier. The guys, the mm. you know what I mean? They have a little bit of bling to them yeah. that you don't, you never have here. They're not modest about how they dress. I think that's a good way to put it. It's, it's a different set of style. Mm -hmm. um, 
Tokyo, everything's prim, well coiffed, like very thoughtful. Some of it's very nuanced and some of it's very subtle. In, in Kansai, it's not meant to be subtle. It's like, no. The real real is real. Yeah. It's like, I made a stardust and you're going to see me when I walk by. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So. And I like that too. There's, so, there's a big difference in the two. So, needless to say, you're a big fan of Kansai. I do. That's where your heart is. Yeah. If, if there is a way to live in Kansai and have access to everything here in Tokyo, I would in a heartbeat. Um, I think my wife is not as much of a fan of Kansai as I am. Where is she from? She's from Hiroshima. Hiroshima, okay. Yeah. Um, but she went to school up here in Tokyo. And she also understands that for her and for the kids and for everything else, access to international schools and programs and everything else, Tokyo is just a better fit for the family. But if I could, I would want to live in Kansai. Is that something? So how much longer do you think you're going to be in Japan? You've been here how long total? All your time? All my time together. Probably about six, seven years. Okay. But it, it's hard to track because since I was 16, once a year for some amount of time I was in Japan. And that could be anything from like two weeks to visit people to six months or a year for some kind of extended stay program. And I only took a break right after I was married because we were, or sorry, not right after I was married, right after our kids were born. Um, because I was sending my wife and kids to Japan all the time. And so there was three or four years where I didn't come to Japan at you all. You just sent them? I just sent them, because I was working in startups. I was in Silicon Valley, so I was doing lots of small projects where I had to be on call all the time, or I had to be in the office all the time. Um, and then now we're living in Japan almost four years since we moved to Tokyo. Uh, how much longer will we be here? That's kind of the question that we're working through right now. Uh, originally, I wanted to move to Europe after this because I love Europe. Would love to where? Where in Europe? Maybe Amsterdam. Okay. Yeah, I. The city's just absolutely gorgeous. It is. It's very easy to live and for Americans, and they have a really strong interest in Japan and the U.S. Um, and so I was always thinking that hey, Amsterdam would be great if we move to the European Union. Kiddos get residency; they can go to any university in Europe that they want to almost free so in terms of education and everything else and we're talking we're not talking about small local community colleges we're talking about top tier European universities and so that was the original plan when I was talking to a friend of mine like two weeks ago and he was saying that like hey like your marketability is really strong in Japan like you have this really amazing skill set really unique knowledge base and abilities like if you go leave Japan, like, yeah, you still have an amazing ability set, but you're going away from, like, your seat of power. And so your potential to earn, your potential to do great things won't be gone, but you're, you're where you should be. And so he kind of hit me with that, and that's been kind of rumbling around in my brain. Wow. So we're, like, we're, we're weighing everything. I think my wife also, she's happy in Tokyo, but she might also, like, at first she was kind of resistant to the idea of moving to Europe, but now I think she kind of likes the idea of moving to Europe, so it's, there's a lot of things for us to think about. That's right, but your kids are still young, though. Yeah, so, yeah, so we have time. Right. Like, um, I was, we weren't planning on leaving Japan until they were in, like, high school. Okay, so um, it'd be another five years or so? Yeah, at, at right. least, at least, because right. I was telling my wife before we moved over here that at least I'll give you five, somewhere between five to ten years, mm -hmm. um, we'll live in Tokyo. 
Um, and that looks like we'll be coming to that decision pretty soon. So, yeah. what did you study when you were in college? What did you graduate? International relations. International relations. With a focus on global economics. Okay. Yeah. And are you doing anything in that area? Not at all. Not at all. Would you, did you want all. to? Or was that just a subject that I, you didn't even graduate with? Mm, <laughs> good question. Um, I misunderstood. So, the downside to my Japan trip. Um, was that I went my junior year. You did what? I went to Japan junior year? Oh, my junior year. year. And that was, that's the year where apparently you learn about what it is to go to college, what the different majors mean and everything else. So I came back, I literally came back from my program and I had been back in the country for about two weeks, go see my guidance counselor and he says, you have a month to take the SATs and to choose your university if you want to go to university next year. Like you're, you're you're way behind everybody else in terms of going to university. It's like, I'm assuming you're going to university because you're a smart kid. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I, I've got to do what? Um, so rushed and took the SATs. Um, there are the SATs. Um, did pretty well because I literally had like a week to study. And, you know, I got like a 1300. I don't even remember what that means. I just remember... I always stopped talking with some friends about that, and they're like, you got a 1300 on the SATs without studying? And I'm like, I don't know, what did you get? Like, <laughs> I, I, I didn't have the context, because it, it was one of those things where it was just like, I missed what all of these this things mean. Right, and so when I was talking to my guidance counselor, he's like, okay, well, with your scores, you can choose, you can apply to any of these schools. Like, you, you, have, you kind of have a choice of what school that you want to go but to. But in these fields. Well, because yeah, I, I was, I wanted to go to an international program. Because okay. I was thinking, like, I want to learn about international business. I want to start a company. Like, I, I, those are the things that I want to do. And he heard international programs, so he brought out all the schools that have international relations, international, like some kind of international um, study. I didn't realize that when he said international relations, he meant international politics. And once again, going to Japan. I went this time in Japan my sophomore year of call of university, so where you're supposed to be getting your feet underneath you and understanding what you're studying and everything else, I was in Japan. So then I come back, and I go and I go up to the dean because we the international program at UOP was very small, so there's only about 20 30 kids in each in the, in, this, in each graduating class, and I go up to the dean and I was like so. Now that I'm a third year and I've got all these classes that I took in Japan and my credits are looking really good, um, I'm looking at the syllabus and I don't, I, for the required classes, I don't see anything for business. Like, where are the business classes? Like, when am I going to learn about international trade? When am I going to learn about marketing? Like, those are the things I really want to learn about. And she's just like, that's the business school, honey. Like, this is international relations. Like, she's like, how do you not know? That? Oh, yeah, you were gone. Like, it was one of those things where it was like, Wow. You in your junior year now. Yeah, I was in my junior year. <laughs> and to the school's credit, they immediately reached out to the business school and said, hey, we have some international studies majors that are really interested in international business. What classes do you guys have that these students can take that maybe we can partner on? So there was a, a, an official partnership between the international school and the business school where they started putting on programs for us. So like... I don't want to say that my dean or the school was unsupportive. The moment they saw that the need, they they made something happen. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very grateful for that. And 
so I started studying internet. I started studying international business, but of course it was like it wasn't even enough to get a minor in business. It was basic information, um, and so when I graduated, I had because of all the credits that I had, I had um, a degree in global economic relations and um, Japanese, and I was about ten credits shy of a third degree in Chinese study. Um, just because I was always always studying, I was always thinking like, oh, I can take eighteen units. I'm gonna take eighteen units because I'm gonna get my money's worth. Like this is this is not a cheap school. Like no, okay. give me all the knowledge you can. Um, and yeah, and so when I graduated, it was one of those things where it was like, okay, so I have this international relations degree. What jobs are available? And they're like, oh, jobs? No, 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 no. Grad school is what's available to you. Once you have your master's or your PhD, then we can talk about jobs. Or you can go into the foreign service or something like that. And so at the time when I graduated, it, this is 2003, so it was right after 9-11. So interest in Japan wasn't really needed from on the, the global stage. Not so much that the U.S. didn't care about Japan, but people were way more interested in, hey, do you speak Farsi? Um, do you have some knowledge about the Middle East? Um, or do you speak Korean? Um, how good is your Korean? Do you understand the, like how well do you understand the politics between North and South Korea? Um, those were areas that were much more interested in, that people were looking for even undergraduate people to come and work for the Foreign Service. And so, um, I instead I went into banking. <laughs> I was like, my girlfriend at the time, her cousin worked at a bank, and he's like, yeah, I'll give you a job. And so I went and interviewed, and I, that's, I got into banking for the first eight years of my career. Um, and I was miserable. I couldn't stand it. Yeah, I just, What about it, did you not learn? There's, there was just this, I don't, it's not shallowness. I was, I spent like four years of my life or not four years, I spent a lot of my life doing really big things that no one thought I could do. Having really big discussions about really meaningful things related to history, related to where we come from, where we're going. Um, and in banking, none of that was really important. Um, it's about the size of the accounts that you're managing. It's about the money that you can make for your clients. And I just, for me, I just struggled with that so much. It was, it was not something I went to school for. I still don't really understand finance. And so trying to learn how to do this was just really, really hard for me. And so I would say after, I would say almost within the first six months of my wife and I being married, I transitioned out of um, banking into gaming. I got a job working for Cyber Agent America. I was the first local hire. Um, to help build out their sales team. And so, got into gaming, started learning about ad tech, started learning about tech, started learning about storytelling and marketing in the digital stage. And this is, this is right when the major digital, the digital revolution was happening in terms of advertising and in terms of mobile ads and the way and tracking and how to promote products, how to catch people's attention, how to do it in a non-invasive way, how to do it in a non-sleazy kind of way. Um, so I had this amazing education by luck of where I was working. Mm, that was neat. How long did you do that? You said 
the first eight years you were in the banking. Yep. And then after that you went to the gaming sector. Yep. How long did that last? Game, between gaming and mobile advertising, it was probably up until I was about 36, 37. Okay. So that was about eight, nine years. Eight, nine years. Um, and then I had started my own consulting firm when my son was born. And they'd been running in the background, just doing small little things here and there, small little projects or coaching things. Um, and that had been going on for four years. And then I just decided to go full time with uh, my own business um, and found out that I really loved working for myself. Um, really liked pushing on things, really liked being able to be a consultant and you know share my expertise and share my knowledge with clients and help them be successful. And that's what you're doing now? Yeah. What's the name of your company? Located. Located? Mm -hmm. My life has been amazing because is, I've benefited is. from the kindness and generosity of so many people. That's so right. if I can help in small ways here and there. That's great. Yeah. That's great. You have a vast reservoir of information. That's why you're so active here in the club. Yeah. And you do a lot of stuff here too. So we, I see you in yeah, I, every magazine. <laughs> every InTouch magazine we have, you're in there doing something. You're involved. Yeah, I, I've i always liked to be like, and I, this also goes back to my grandfather. He was very involved in the community. Um, he volunteered at the Rodeo, uh, he volunteered at the Slimus Air Show, he volunteered for the Ski Patrol. Um, he was always involved in something wherever he was to. To provide he also yeah he volunteered at the hospital um like just anything that he could do to help benefit the community he was a part of and um i think for my wife and i um tech has really become our community for us um our, you know, our kids come to classes i mean you teach my son uh my wife is getting involved in fitness classes and yoga and stuff i mean i'm obviously here almost every day but and because of that like i want to volunteer like i want to help do things to make tech fun, interesting, and engaging. That's why I volunteer with the CCEC um, to help put on really interesting events, to help. You're doing a great job. Thank you. You're doing a really yeah. good job. You're working with Drew, you work with Matthew, mm -hmm. or the CC. Yeah, CCC. he's the chair. He's the, the chair. You guys work together. I see you in meetings. Every time I'm here, it seems like you guys are always in meetings somewhere. Because I use the club as if it's still mine. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not shy about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. Before I end the podcast, Brian, mm -hmm. I always ask this question. Sure. If you had a magic wand, you could go back in time. Mm. With the knowledge you have now, and you could meet a younger Brian, mm -hmm. what would you tell him, and how old would that Brian be? If I had a magic wand to go back, I probably would have gone to Brian fresh out of college and told him, hey, your story's just beginning in the best possible way. Um, there are no rules that you have to follow. Like, Because I, I think this is one of the things that I had forgotten when I graduated college because I had to go into banking and I was kind of really disappointed. Like I lived this international life. I'd been abroad when I was 16. Most people that I knew, even in San Francisco, still didn't have their own passport. And I had broken all these rules and then I, suddenly I was in banking in San Francisco, no options for international travel or, or not international, international relocation or international work projects. Um, and I would just tell him, it's like, hey, you got this far by breaking all the rules. Don't suddenly now start feeling like you have to follow the rules. Start your own business. Like, 
pushing myself to kind of start that journey that I did when I was in my mid-30s, when I was in my mid-20s. Um, I think that is what I would have done. Is that, that's kind of what I would do. Because how much progress, how amazing things have gone, you know, in my 30s when I started focusing on, you know, taking care of my family. And then that was a big thing too, is like when, once I got married to my wife and raising the family, like there was a big inspiration for me to work harder and to, to gain more gains. Um, and if I had started that sooner, I'm really curious to see where I'd be now. I'm happy where I am, but I've got a lot more, I've got a lot more growing to do. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure as always. I want to thank all of you for watching this podcast. Make sure you press like and subscribe. And remember, it's all on loan, so continue to reach for the stars because you're too blessed to be stressed.